Well, it is great to see you, and today is a special day for a lot of reasons. I'm going to tell you why. Number one, there are some that are exploring this worship experience, and this is your first time here. We want to say welcome to you. We want so much for you to feel a part of a loving community, a, a community of grace, and so we're glad that you're here. Um, secondly, um, it was, get this, it was... 29 years ago, I'm starting my 30th year of ministry, and, and it was this time in 1988 that I started as the associate pastor at Martha Bowman. I'm, I'm pretty pumped about that. And I am honored and feel privileged to be able to return as senior pastor, uh, but it's, it's hard to believe, and as I look out, I see uh, people from the youth group that were a part of the youth ministry back then when I was the associate with an emphasis on youth. And so that's another reason why it's important. The other is today I turned 55. Yeah. No, seriously, come on, seriously. Um, and so double nickels today. And uh, feeling pretty good, feeling pretty good. Grateful to be alive, grateful to be in ministry. And, um, and I think I'm getting to be one of the oldest ones in the room. Um, and today is Scout Sunday, and, and we're grateful for the scouting ministry. You heard Fran bragging about her husband being an Eagle Scout. Did you catch that? My husband was an Eagle Scout. Well, I was too. All right? So, Fran, Mark's a good guy, but, I, you know, I'm an Eagle Scout. In fact, uh, Lee, I, can, I think I can remember the... The list of characteristics of scouts, scouts, trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, brave, romantic, <laughs> charming, clean, and reverent, something like that. And so that reminds me, guys, you only have two days, Valentine's Day, just a little reminder, um, if you hadn't had a chance, uh, get the special someone, something. Um, but uh, anyway, it is great, and uh, I was part of an inner city um, scout troop, and it was, uh, it was biracial. It was awesome. Uh, white guys like me, African-American guys. In fact, one of my best friends, his name was Homer. Uh, he was a black guy, and we, when we would camp out, he was my temp mate, and it was awesome because it taught me some things about every person is to be valued. And while we may not look alike, we belong to God and every one of us is celebrated. So there's just good things that can come out of scouting. And uh, we're glad that it's a ministry of the church. And did you see these fellas? Weren't they great? Uh, the guys in the uniform I'm talking about. I mean, they looked great, didn't they? It reminds me of a little boy who uh, wanted a new bike. And he desperately uh, was, was longing for a new bicycle. His wheels were out of alignment. Uh, the frame was bent. Uh, the handlebars were worn out, the grips were, were gone, and he felt like, hey, it's time. I need a new bike. And so he went to his parents and said, look, Mom and Dad, don't you think? I mean, look at this thing. I'm having fun, but I could have more fun with a new bike. And they said, well, you know, do your chores, save your money. Let's, let's wait a little bit, and you may want to pray about it. Just, just ask God to, to bless you. And so he went to God, and he prayed, and he said, Lord, I really need a new bike. Will you not provide one? 
Nothing happened. A couple of weeks later, he said, God, I really want a bike. I need a new bike. Give me a new bike. Three weeks went by, nothing. He was walking through his mom and dad's bedroom, and he saw an old nativity scene on the shelf. And he saw the character of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and he grabbed the statue, the figurine, and he went into his room, and he knelt down, and he said, if you ever want to see your mother again. <laughs> now, that would be an aggressive form of going to God in prayer, wouldn't you say? And I want to ask you, how is it that you approach God in prayer? We've just started this series entitled, Jesus, Teach Us to Pray. And for us, Francis Asbury, a theologian of a, a Methodist background, says, prayer is our life. It oxygenates our spiritual respiratory system. It hydrates our soul. And who better to teach us than Jesus? I think about Jesus being a part of the Godhead, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and how at the beginning of time, even before time as we knew it, at creation as we knew it, the three in one were present, and Jesus watched over all things with God the Father and the Spirit, and I, I wonder if he took notes on all of the petitions and all of the prayers that were made and all of the requests and how they were made and how they were made with pure motives and with motives that were not good and how certain people had effective prayers. And so he comes incarnate and dwells among us and the disciples attentively and wisely said, Jesus, teach us to pray. And so as we come today, we're going to look at the words of Jesus and what he teaches on prayer. I want to invite you to maybe look at, um, look at your Bible, or maybe you've got a smartphone with an app with the scripture, or we even have it in your bulletin here with the message notes. And as we think about this one who was schooled in prayer, and as he is the master teacher of prayer, let's hear his words coming from Matthew, and this is the Sermon on the Mount, and he has gathered his disciples, the followers of this movement that he has started. In verse 7 of chapter 7 of Matthew, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For, who, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, 
Do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Let's pray together. God, we enter into right now that thing we're talking about, prayer. And we thank you that you have created a means for us to have conversation with you. We're able simply to be with you just as we are because of Christ and the work of the cross. The veil was torn and we freely come. Lord, I pray today that you will work within us and help us to see the need to come to you in prayer. Help us to see that in these words right now. It's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Let's take a look at the words of Jesus when he speaks about approaching God in prayer. And I want you to look at verses 7 and 8 first. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be given, opened unto you. And then there's a parallelism. It's almost a repeating in verse 8, which speaks of importance. For everyone who asks, receives. These are promises based on verse 7. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And so we see embedded three strong words. Ask, seek, and knock. And what's interesting about these words is they are imperatives. In language, that means they are commands. When Jesus was teaching, he said, when you pray, not if you pray. And so these are commands, imperatives. You should ask. You should seek. You should knock. We see this all through scripture in Jeremiah 33, 3. It says this, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet who often cried out to God, he said, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. And so we find in the Old Testament and the New Testament that God beckons us. He, he wants to move us toward himself and he invites us to pray. What is it that stands in the way of us praying? Uh, part of it may be pride. There's a self-sufficiency in, in who we think we are, and, and I can do this without God. Or, or maybe just ambivalence, not really caring to go to God, apathetic, or distractions. I don't know about you, uh, but my ADD mind works against praying because there are so many things the tyranny of the urgent calling out to me to respond urgently but what may be urgent may not be as important or maybe despair and depression and discouragement and you feel like why bother now it's interesting to me how these speak about how God can be a feeling in proximity to us. In other words, how we approach our Father 
can be described in these words. If that person is in close proximity, we can simply ask them, Daddy, may I, in the same room, as part of an ongoing conversation. And so we ask, and you shall receive. And then, the second word is seek. It may be that we don't feel as though God is in close proximity, although he never leaves us, forsakes us. We may not feel that. And so the scripture encourages us to be intentional, to seek, to go, to look for God, to search him out. And so that invitation is before us. And it may be that we have to wander around the house. Daddy, you know, the biggest question around our house is, where's mom? Okay, but it may be that we say, Dad, where are you? And we seek after the Father. And it may be that there's a sense in which the Father is on the other side of a door. Maybe in a study. Maybe we hear him snoring. And it says, knock. Knock. I think about a time in the life of our church recently where we were pursuing something very ambitious. And we were talking about knocking at the door. Seeking after Christ. Asking God for discernment. And one person said, I'm not sure if we should knock or kick the door to be intentional, to really work at it, to seek God's favor and God's will. Let's kick that door. And if it doesn't open, well, at least we gave of ourselves in prayer. And what happens in prayer may be important or just as important as what we're asking for. And so, we find that God encourages us at every level of our emotion to do what is best in terms of our emotions, to know that he's right here, but if he doesn't feel like he's right here, then to seek him out. And then if you find that he's behind a door, pound on it. The other thing about this is it speaks to the heart of God. A God who is loving and a God who desires to bless his children. You see, Jesus is speaking to those who are following after him. And I really believe that the heart of God is disclosed even more in verses 9 and following. Look with me. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? And if he asks for a fish, will he give him a snake? If then, you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father give good gifts to those who ask? He uses almost a, a ridiculous argument. All of us would say, no, we would give a fish over a snake. We, we would give to our own child we give bread over a stone. My daughter, Rebecca, is going to be graduating. We're pumped about that. She's going to be graduating from college from Asbury University here in just a couple of months. And she has a bucket list. 
And one of them was to go skiing before she graduated. She recently did that. I think there was more falling than skiing based on what I saw. And, and the other was she wanted uh, to go to an athletic event in Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, I graduated from the University of Kentucky. I kind of nurtured her love for Kentucky and Kentucky basketball. And she said, Dad, I'd love to go, something I've never done, to go to Rupp Arena, which is um, a convention athletic facility, uh, 23,000 packed into it. I'd love to go to a game. And I thought, now, I went on StubHub, I went on Ticketmaster, and I was like, good grief, do I really want to drive nine hours, pay about $75 a ticket, and carve this time out of my schedule? Yes. Because she's my daughter. And I'll do anything that will encourage her. The other is, it's something I really wanted to do. So it fell within my will. And we had a blessed time. It was awesome. You see, she asked for bread. I'm not going to give her a stone. And Jesus says, if you who are evil, if you who are broken, you fathers that have blown it, if you who are imperfect, imperfect know how to at least give good gifts, how much more, oh, the Heavenly Father wants to give to you. And I got to thinking about that. It may be in your own life that your, your father was great. And, and praise God for that and good for you. It may be that your father did the best he could and, and, and he, he struggled and he made his mistakes. Really, all fathers do that. And you think, you know, there were, there were moments where he didn't make wise decisions, but you still love him. And he's still your dad, but you could see his imperfections. Or maybe you don't know who your father is. Or your father evacuated. Here's what I want to say. If the distance between this guitar and me is a fair father, maybe even evil father, and a good father, humanly speaking, that much. The distance between a good father and the heavenly father is to that wall. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm saying, humanly speaking, millimeters between a so-so dad and a great dad. But when it comes to a heavenly father and his love for us and how he wants to bless us, it's all to the, beyond that wall in terms of relativity and distance and understanding. And so think about that. If my father, if I want to give good gifts to my children and I am evil, 
Oh, how the Heavenly Father desires to lavishly and graciously bestow upon me things I can't even imagine. And that's the good news for us today. It's He is saying, I want you to come to me. I want you to step forward. I want to engage you. I want you to know that you are loved by me. And I want to bless your life. And you know, it'd be one thing if we just had the Sermon on the Mount. If we just had this teaching on Jesus, we'd say, this is kind of neat. This is good ethical teaching. This is great. What a wonderful practice of meditation. But it's more than that, because if you go to the cross, and you see the price that Christ paid, and that the veil was torn... That confirms everything that he is saying in the Sermon on the Mount. That we can go to the throne freely and confidently knowing that we are being heard and that God is working for our good. And so today, I'm grateful for this passage because it speaks of the ultimate good nature of God. He is a good, good God. He is perfect in all of his ways. And he will give me that which is good for me. Now, does that mean that he's going to answer every prayer in the way that I think it should be answered? No. In fact, I'm glad that God has not answered every petition and every request that I have put before him in the way that I think it should be answered, because that would make me God. If I saw God as a cosmic vending machine, a Santa in the sky, and I gave him every request and every demand, and he gave me just what I wanted, that would not be in my best interest. And so what I think this passage is saying is, be earnest in prayer. Come to me. I love you. And if you ask for good things, I will get good things for you. It may not look exactly like what you think it should look like. Because i got to tell you, there have been times where I've asked for a snake. And God has given me fish. I've asked for a stone out of my own selfishness. And what I thought was best for me or for somebody else. And he gave me bread. The message is about a relationship. It's about a conversation. It's about a love affair. With a God who desperately longs for us. And says, come. Won't you come? And I want to ask you this question. What would happen if we became a church that really took seriously this passage? What would happen to us individually in terms of our perspective? I don't know about you, but when I see the nature and heart of God, it gives me a sense of security that no matter what happens, no matter what my circumstances are, I'm going to be okay. Because I have a good heavenly father who wants only my best. Let's pray together.